Good to see all of you, and um, thank you, Amy, for the encouragement to gather. You know, the Bible says things like uh, to uh, uh, mourn together, rejoice together, and you can only do those things if you actually know uh, someone else and what they're going through, and so you have to get to know someone. You cannot do that from a distance. You cannot be an observer, and so I want to encourage you, and what you have and what your your life has been about uh, is so, so important that you bring so much to the table and you have so much to offer so don't keep that to yourself right and so uh, for our women's ministry and lift our community groups starting this upcoming uh, week in a couple weeks uh, man this is an opportunity for you to now rejoice with others weep with others uh, learn from others and uh, so uh, don't keep that to yourself um, and I know um you know, it's a little bit extra of a commitment, but there is something that uh, is beneficial for us to do this together. So just wanted to mention that again. Today, uh, we are going to look at um, Ecclesiastes on the topic of work. And there's a, a, you know, in Greek mythology, the story of Sisyphus, and there's a picture up here, right, that God's punish him, and his punishment was he had to roll this boulder up the hill all day. It took him all day to get to the top. And then when it got up there, and when he was done, it would roll all the way back down, and the next day he would do it again, and do it again, and the monotony of it became now his punishment. Right? It seemed meaningless. And oftentimes this might feel like our work, um, where we spend most of our time. And, you know, God has called some of you uh, to go sit at, work at off, in an office. Some of you are uh, maybe working at home. You're taking care of your home. Some of you are just in the beginning stages of looking for a job or just starting a job. Some of you are at the tail end of it. But we spend so much time there that uh, it is such a big topic that one of the big topics in Ecclesiastes is about our work and what Solomon says about it through God the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to learn from it. And, uh, you know, we spend, the average spends 90,000 hours at work in their lifetime. 90,000 hours. And uh, some of us are now over the halfway mark. Some of us are just chipping away. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, I still have 80,000 hours. Um, and you're like, oh gosh, you know, that's a long time. Some of you... Um, you know, think about that. In, in a person's lifetime as well, they said the average person has 12 jobs that they go through, uh, from whether it's a paper route to all the way till uh, their career at the end. And so 12 different jobs that they work through. So it's a big part of our lives. It is arguably the, the biggest thing, the, the biggest part of the life, especially when we are in our waking hours. After sleep, it is work. And so the Bible has a lot to say about this. Um, the Bible has two parts to this, and we read a longer section here. But one part, it starts by saying, I hate this toil. And some of you are reading this like, oh yeah, I hate Monday mornings, right? Especially tomorrow, it's going to be rainy, it's going to be cold, and there's no other place you'd rather be than just in that warm spot on your bed. And you're like, oh, the alarm's going off, and you think about this. And so there's one part of it, which is true. I hate my toil. And yet, on the other side, as believers, we find enjoyment and meaning in our toil. So which is correct, right? Is it so difficult that I should hate it, or can I find some kind of enjoyment? And obviously, we want to say, as a believer, 
Um, God helps us to find meaning and purpose in our work. That, to the point we could enjoy this. Without God, it is just a job. It is ours. It is something that we find as a burden. And so we're going to look at the two parts here. The first part is the negative part. Um, remember last week, if you were here, um, there was this phrase, under the sun, life under the sun. It, it's idea of anything that's below God or without God, life without God. Um, and it's describing now toil and work without God in mind. Without acknowledging God, what does work become? It just becomes a burden. It becomes now a source of my sorrow. Uh, the Bible uses the word vexation it brings me. It just becomes a negative thing. And all we do is just count to uh, the, the hours left until I could retire, um, until Friday, until the weekend. Uh, but with God, life with God, or God who is above the sun in the heavens, if we consider God, it now becomes something of an enjoyment. It becomes something that now gives us purpose. And we understand this is God's plan in the greater things. And so we're going to look at those two parts. Um, the negative part, working as and uh, my job under the sun without thinking about God, without acknowledging God, it just becomes a job. And it starts by saying in verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. I have to leave it. Right? Think of all the good work that you've done, you're going to leave it to someone else. And who knows if the person who's going to come is going to be wise, understand what you design, what you set up. And that's got to be one of the hardest things. You know, my uh, Sharon is a, a, a kindergarten school teacher. And over the years now, she's amassed like, I don't know, a thousand you know, days off she could use, like sub days. I mean, she rarely calls it a sub. So I jokingly tell her, I'm like, oh, it's going to rain tomorrow. She call a sub. Because I know she'll never call a sub. And some of you teachers here, you know what that's like. She goes, no, the sub comes and just ruins, messes everything up. And she goes, it's double the work. Because I have to now set all the plans. They don't follow it. And now I have to do all of what we're supposed to do on that day, on the following day. And so she'll never call a sub. And that's what the writer is saying here. I hated all my toll in which I toll under the sun, seeing that I must leave it behind to the man who comes, who will come after me. Uh, verse 23 in Ecclesiastes 2 describes work in this way. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is a vanity. A description of days and night. He's saying work ruins all of it. Daytimes are filled with this sorrow, and even at night it follows us home. The description is all of his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. Now, vexation means filled with sorrow, regret. It's a word that we don't use much. And so if you want to complain, let's say, to your boss, and you don't want to really have him know what you're saying, say, oh, what a vexation this is. You say, what? I say, oh, it's like a vacation at work. That's what I said, you know? Um, but it's a word that means it's, oh, it's a burden. It's difficult. Not only that, it follows us home at night. I mean, if you, um, you know, have dreams about work when you have a big project or something due and you're, maybe your nightmare is part of work in this way. And it follows us home anywhere you have internet connection. Anytime you have now a smartphone, laptop, it's as if 
your boss and your work and your coworkers are on that trip with you, right? They could contact you at any time. You take work home at all the time. Um, I saw an Instagram post of a lady who says, oh my gosh, I called in sick to take a long weekend trip and she's on the plane and she has a video, she shoots a video and her boss is on the same flight that she had called in sick to, right? So she was wearing a, a mask, thanks to COVID, you could do that and big glasses and a hoodie and she was like, you know, um, sharing this uh, on there. It could follow us home in this way. But somehow, and all of us read this, I could already feel the, the atmosphere in the room, everyone's a little down now, already. Like, I, I, I'm sorry to put it down, everyone's like, oh, yeah, it is a vexation, right? That's the right word. But yet, uh, God comes on the scene, and he allows us now to thrive and enjoy our work. Um, he makes it all different. So it's not just as if we think of work as something I don't consider my faith to be part of my work. No, he is a part of my work. He is a part of everything that I do. Now, when we consider God and we put God in the equation, our faith in the equation, all of a sudden we can enjoy our work. It says in verse 24, there's nothing better for a person that, that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. He says this is the best thing that could happen to someone. It doesn't say win the lotto. It doesn't say go on a trip. The best thing that someone could have is able to enjoy their meal, eat and drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. How do I find enjoyment in my toil? This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying here is, if you put God in the equation, all of a sudden the thing that was a burden... All of a sudden, the work you found out as that you described as a vexation, all of a sudden becomes a source of enjoyment. It is no longer just a task in itself to get by. It is something of purpose in itself. Um, so, how does our faith impact our work? How can I find, how do I find enjoyment? How does God come into my career? And I don't know about many of you, if you picked your career choices. I don't know if back in the day, if you actually thought about God, you might have prayed to God for the job, but if you thought about how can I incorporate God, how is God guiding me into this, but somehow he did, and he provides. And so we want to look at this description of work and how our faith impacts our work. And there's four um, truths about the work that we do. And this is a very practical. Number one is we have to look at the origin of work, right? The origin of work. Um, where does work come from? Did mankind design work to burden those under them, to make people go to work, or was it designed by God? And we see that ultimately it's designed by God. God allows us to have enjoyment, it says in chapter 224, enjoyment even in our toil. This is from the hand of God. Somehow, the toil and the enjoyment we can get from it comes from God. The source is God. Um, the work, work or toil is one of the core activities explored in Ecclesiastes. Amal is the name, uh, is a word for toil in the original language. It means hardship. It describes the hardship of toil. And so some of you, when you think about work, 
Um, to describe it as toil, it makes it sound like it's burdensome. And that's the word that is used here, really. It is difficult. And yet he himself, when you look at God and from the beginning of the Bible, God worked. Because he worked, he rested. Rest only comes because of work. And so he worked, he created, and then he rested. When he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, there is no paradise without work. They were to work the land and tend to the animals and uh, take care of all of God's creation. And so this order of creation, the way we're created, we are now wired to work. God has provided this for us. Um, Tim Keller says this, in his book on uh, Every Good Endeavor that I went over again this week, he says, according to the Bible, we don't merely need the money from work to survive. We need the work itself to survive and live fully human lives. We need the work itself to survive and live fully human lives. I think what he's arguing is that we were created to work. We were made to go and become productive. Now, you see, we've all seen the scene, Right? Um, some of you little, little ones, you know exactly what it's like. You go to the beach, a day at the beach, um, or even a vacation, and uh, the adult thinks, I want to go to the beach, you know, in an 80-degree day, and I just want to sit under an umbrella with a cold drink in my hand and just, ah, that's rest. But what do you see in a little one? They're working hard, aren't they, at the beach? They bring all their, you know, equipment, the pails and the shovels, and they're ready to work. They're wired to work. You see a two-year-old, three-year-old, as soon as they're able to work, uh, walk, what do they do? They start working, digging holes, making walls, uh, going and fetching you know, pails of water to dump and back and forth and back and forth and occasionally try to recruit the mom or the dad and you, so you avoid eye contact at those times. And then occasionally too, as the adult sitting there, you can go, that looks kind of fun, right? I kind of want to, that, that looks fun. But it would be weird for a middle-aged man to go and build a sandcastle. It's not socially acceptable. But I will enjoy it through the child. I will watch him build. Why do they build? Why doesn't a three-year-old say, oh, just give me a chair. Give me a cold milk and uh, just leave me alone. Why do they bring all the equipment and work? Because they were, we were created. There's something within us that we find satisfying as we work. And I would argue that the child that's been digging around and making this sandcastle is far more relaxed than the adult who's trying to sit there and, and find a little bit of shade and get a little bit of color. They're created in this way. We see this... Um, you know, psychologists have a term called the post-project depression uh, that they've labeled that people, especially those who are um, in creative work, when they finish their work, when they finish writing their dissertation or they finish a product or they finish now an event, there's a post-project depression. It's a little bit of a downer. Why? Because the work in itself brought joy. And once it is done, you say, I don't know what to do. On a big picture, we see this uh, when people retire. Those who are not retired say, oh, isn't that the wonderful, most, uh, uh, the goal of our lives? I can't wait till I retire. You know, I'm, I'm in that life stage where everyone around me is talking about retirement. I could retire early. I could retire this. Uh, um, 
rarely do I hear someone says, I just, I just want to keep going, right? But really, we see even in retirement, we see uh, there's stages to it. There's the initial stage is kind of this elation, and the second stage is a depression for many people. Saying, I have nothing to do? Am I useful? Why is that? Because all of us were created to do something. We're creative people made by God to do work in this way. So this is the origin of work. So we pause for a moment, and when we get up to go to work tomorrow or Tuesday or whenever it is, and you think, God has wired me for this. It changes our perspective. Secondly, there is a greater purpose of our work. There is that infamous story of a young man who was applying for med school with perfect grades and uh, perfect scores and in the essay part, why do you want to become a, a doctor? And on it, without writing anything, he just drew a big dollar sign and he submitted it, right? There's that famous or infamous story. Hopefully it wasn't one of you, right, that I heard about. But, um, and, you know, that they're doing it for this. And a lot of people think of work maybe in that sense. You know, when they think about career choices, when young people are asked, what do you want to do? First thing they do is, well, which careers make the most money? Let me Google, which careers make the most money? Oh, yeah. Well, out of the top ten, maybe I could make one fit so I could make a lot of money. But there's a greater purpose. Work is not just work to get a lot of money. Work has a greater purpose. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, 7 and 8, it says, Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. For his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappy business. For whom am I toiling? That is the question. And he says, the vanity is the person who has no one that they're working on behalf of. What is their motivation? The person that is there just to find satisfaction and riches. And that's it. The only reason they work is to find satisfaction in their riches. Not to provide for someone else, not to help others, not to mentor someone else. But their simple goal is the dollar sign. And in it, we lack purpose, but there is something greater. God has allowed all of us to do what we do so that we could now benefit someone there. The person we're helping, the person we're teaching, the person we see in the patient's room, or uh, the person we have to talk with, or the, the intern that signed up and we mentor them, whatever it is. It's our opportunity to now have a greater purpose in the work that we do. Uh, Max Dupree, who was the CEO of Herman Miller Furniture, you know, those fancy office chairs um, that uh, adjust like uh, 200 different ways, right? Um, he was a very serious Christian and one of the uh, uh, Christian, and one of the things that he did, and I heard about him uh, that he had done, was he had gathered, he would gather often some Christian philosophers and professors and ask them, like, how does work play into now my faith? And how does my faith as a Christian change the way I work? And he would ask these questions. And one of the things that he concluded was this. Money is like breathing. You need money to live. But who in the world just, who in the world lives just to breathe? You need money. Of course, money is important. But who in the world lives just to breathe? 
God has called you where you are at, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, whether you are a full-time student, whether you are now well into your career, um, it's not there just to make the money. Who in the world lives just to breathe? It is to be used for others. Thirdly, we have to view our work as a calling, work as calling. When we think about this, we often think of calling us in the Christian uh, world. Oh, you're called to go into ministry, or you're called to go into, uh, to be a missionary, or so on and so forth. Uh, but really, the calling in the Bible is a description of all of our work, all of God's goodness through our work. And it says this, Ecclesiastes 3.22, So I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. What is he supposed to rejoice in? In his work, not in someone else's work. And he's supposed to now uh, enjoy his own lot. What has God given to you? Where has God placed you? And wherever you are placed, you are called to enjoy. There's a, a picture here that you are called to a particular role. The world might view it as, oh, it's not that great. Oh, you should be looking elsewhere. But somehow, we have to now accept and be grateful. This is my lot. This is what God has given to me. Um, with how the internet is, it is easy to be looking for jobs all the time, isn't it? Oh, it might be better there. They're, they're, you know, they pay better there. Uh, they have a better bonus you know, situation over there. Um, the grass is greener over there. Um, and it's easy to be looking all the time. But we have to pause for a second and say, this is my lot. This is where God's called me. And maybe God will not move you to somewhere else eventually. But while I am here, while I am called, this is what God has given me. This is my calling. I have a friend back in the day, he used to, he set up a Christian uh, a ministry job website. Pastor jobs, youth pastor jobs, uh, all church jobs. And he set this up and people would submit all their uh, job requests and they would put it up and so you can go looking for jobs. And uh, back in the day when he had that running, he said that he would look at the traffic on it. And these are all pastors, right? And he says the spike and where they had the most traffic was... Sunday night, right? Which is kind of funny. I was like, it was a bad day. You know, um, I, I, no one laughed at my jokes and uh, they just laughed at me and I'm just, uh, you know, uh, grass is greener over there. If I went to the Baptist church over there, oh, if I, you know what? God's maybe calling me to East Coast. It's better over there. They're the intellects over there. No, maybe I should go up North. It's better over there. Maybe I should go South. Um, and it would shoot up in that way. God has called us, and he gives us, here, this is what you have to do. And from God's perspective, none of it is more important than the other. We love to now put people in categories and rank things, and what's the best, what's the worst. We love ranking things and to find, I feel better because I'm better at this. My job is more important than that. But from God's perspective, every job that is on here is now important, equally important. Ecclesiastes 5.19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. Again, there's that phrase, to accept his lot, rejoice in his toil, this is a gift. 
This is what God gives us. 1 Corinthians 7.17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Where has God called you? Where has he assigned you to? And that's where I am faithful at. Um, you look at the title of my message, you might be thinking, the masks of God, I don't get it. What does that mean? There's a phrase that was used by Martin Luther, the reformer. And he used that particular phrase, the masks of God, as he now argued for the calling of everyone and their vocation. And so he says, God doesn't just give you a food on the table. Ultimately, God gives it to you, but he uses people along the way. So from the farmer to the baker, God uses them. They're wearing a mask of God. Ultimately, God provides, but it looks like a baker made the bread. It looks like a farmer went and prepared the grain. They're wearing the masks of God. They're doing the work of God. How do I get this milk here? Well, someone had to take care of the cows. Someone had to milk the cows and bottle it up and prepare it and bring it to the market. And the person at the market, there's a cashier, there's workers, they're wearing the masks of God. They're providing... Though it's their job, their job is now God's work. And so his argument is that. He was arguing against what the Roman Catholic Church insisted was the separation of what was now uh, the sacred vocation and the secular work. And what the Roman Catholic Church was teaching then was that to use the word calling, you would reserve that for those entering ministry, the priesthood or the monastic order, and they were now considered called to God's work. Everyone else, from the baker to the cashier to the farmer to the person at the restaurant, uh, that wasn't sacred. But what Luther and the Reformers argued was every work that we do is sacred. That everything we do is important. And he says here, um, I just want to read a little bit of what Luther says a little... Um, he says, God could easily give you grain and fruit without your plowing and planting, but he does not want to do so. Right? Uh, he says here, uh, what else in all our work to God, whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, in war, or in government, he wants to give his gifts in the field, at home, and everywhere else? No. These are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. So whether it is at war or the government or someone in the home or in the city or the garden, whoever is doing the work, God is using them and they are now masking who God is. They're doing God's work. That was his argument. So oftentimes, uh, you see sometimes some extreme uh, cults and whatnot. They will not go to a hospital. They don't believe in that. They believe God will just supernaturally cure. But really, the nurses and doctors are now wearing the masks of God, we could say. And they're doing the work of God. The therapists are doing the work of God. They're helping the person. They're doing the person. God supernaturally uses them. And I was thinking about all these 12 jobs and all of this, and I was thinking about the first job I ever had, and I didn't know this back then. First job I ever had was at Del Taco, right? Del Taco, near where I lived, was known. That particular Del Taco was known for hiring kids who were under 16. So I don't know if it's illegal or not, but uh, it was the 80s, right? Um, it didn't really matter back then. So I got a job at Del Taco. They paid a whopping $3.35 an hour, right? 
It's an hour of work to get a half gallon of gas, right? So if you put it in that, those terms, or to get maybe an hour of work to get a grande pike, right? And that was it. But I worked there. We've all been. And I still have a little moment when I go to a Del Taco. Like, ah, I've been here, right? I know what it's like to be behind there. And I could tell the quality of the food because if you ever look at the, the menu when you're driving through, and boy, the beans are layered perfectly. The beef is cooked perfectly, the steak, and then you have the tomatoes are cubed perfectly, sour cream, cheese, and if you pay extra, the bright green guacamole. And it's just, you could tell in one bite I will get seven layers, but what do you get sometimes? The first bite is all sour cream, the second bite is all cheese, and you're like, oh, I can't eat, you know, like, you could tell someone just, you know, just rolled it up and here it is, and maybe I prepared it that way as well. And so I go in, critical, now you have to do it by layers, and so every bite, you get a little bit of this. Maybe if I knew, back in the 80s, and I was wearing the mask of God as I was preparing the Dell burrito with red sauce, right? I would put it evenly and give it out in this way. Psalm 104, 14 says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. You see this? God causes it all to grow for man to cultivate, to go and do the work. And so we now are called to do this. This is a calling. This is a sacred thing that you are doing. And lastly, we view work as now an opportunity. This is an opportunity. Um, This is not a burden. This is not punishment. This is an opportunity. The Bible calls it a gift from God. And doesn't that change everything? This is a gift. You get to go to work. You get to help other people. And you say, this is an opportunity. And if we view it in that way, we would treat it like a child with their uh, bucket, sand pail at the beach, building a castle. Um, It says this in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Sheol is the grave. So when you pass this ends, this is an opportunity. This is something you get to do here on earth. This is something you get to do with your life. And whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. If you're staying at home and caring for kids or preparing things at home, do it with your might. If you're going into the office, do it with your might. If you're calling a meeting, run the best meeting possible. If you're sitting with a student, teach with all of your passion. Do it with your might. This is a, an opportunity. Don't go in thinking, what's the least I can do? Don't go in thinking, what's the least I can do? The New Testament, uh, it talks about don't have, don't be a person who just gives eye service. They work hard only when the boss is watching. They only act like they're busy when the boss is present and when they go, oh, I'm done. He's gone. He's gone. It's an opportunity. We do it well. We work hard. It says here in Colossians 3, 23, 24, whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
Our motivation is him. Our reward is found in him. And what we get to do is now a gift from him. This is not a punishment. This is not just a burden, but this is now an opportunity. And so tomorrow morning, whenever it is, got to go check into work. And as you're driving in, I pray that you would pray to God, God, thank you for this opportunity. God, I thank you that you allowed me to have this role. At this point in my life, you have called me to this place. God, I thank you. God, I want to do my best in this. I want to go and bless everyone I come in, in touch with today. God, I want to help and impact those who are below me. I want to even sacrifice of myself to help those around me today. And God, I, I get a check, a paycheck out of this, God. I get blessings from you through this. Uh, this is the beauty of God being in our work. May we never work an hour from here on out without acknowledging the one who is above the sun. May we never treat work like he is not there. But he is there, the source, the giver, the one who gives us this opportunity. So let's give our best to the Lord in this way. Let's pray, could we? Lord, we thank you, and God, we give thanks to you because of what we get to do. And so, Lord, our language changes. It's not something that we have to do, but we get to do. It's no longer a source of sorrows, but a source of joy. Because, Lord, now you give, give our work meaning. You give us the opportunities. So, Lord, in all of our creativity and all of the skills that you have given to us, we now serve. We go to help. We go to do our best. We go as wearing the mask of God that you would work through us. So God, help us in this way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.